Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. So the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Before we start this interview, I just want to talk again about my Aware Parenting Teenagers course, because the first live round is starting on Monday, the 28th of November, and I'm so excited We've got lots of beautiful people who've joined the course. Some have got older teenagers, some have got younger teenagers, some have got tweens, some people are new to aware parenting, and some people have been doing aware parenting for many, many, many years. So if you would like to get more support to be able to raise your teens with this beautiful approach to be able to get these wonderfully close, connected, nourishing relationships with your teenagers, then I invite you to go to my website, awareparenting.com.au forward slash courses and have a look. Now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I'm really delighted to have Lael Stone back on the show again. Thanks so much for making time to talk to us again, Lael. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. So Lael's already been on the podcast. She was on episode three. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I suggest you go back and listen to all of her wisdom that she shared there. But in case you're not familiar with Lael, I will just briefly introduce her. So Lael is a champion of connection and she has an amazing TEDx talk called Raising Emotionally Intelligent Children, which has now had 2.8 million Mm. views, which is just incredible. Lael is also the co-creator of Woodline Primary School, which is a school based on emotional intelligence and connection. She is a speaker. She is an author. She's the co-author of the wonderful book with Marion Rose that's going to be published, I think, in in a week or something, which is very exciting. And she's also the co-host of the Aware Parenting podcast. And she does all kinds of other amazing things, but that's a basic summary. Is that fair enough? That sounds brilliant. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So today we are going to be talking about teenagers because that's something that Leila and I are both really passionate about, supporting teenagers, particularly with a sort of aware parenting approach to help our teens to be more happy, more relaxed, more connected, more, more joyful and to have more, more fun and connection in their lives. So that's really what we're going to be talking about today. And I wonder if we could just start, Leila, by talking a bit about some of the pressures that our teens are under because... The new research from the American Psychological Association suggests that teens now have higher levels of stress than adults do. And we can see so many examples in in all kinds of places of teens really struggling these days with all kinds of issues, behavioral problems, psychological conditions, all these different challenges that they're facing. So if we could start off by talking a bit about some of those things, I think it would it helps everybody to have a more sort of compassionate uh, awareness and understanding of teenagers when we're really clear about what they're facing. So uh, let's start off with talking about puberty. Um, that's obviously a huge thing. What, mm. what would you like to say about that? Uh, I think uh, the first thing I want to say is it's really, um, I think it's great as an as a parent to always reflect back onto what it was like when we were a teenager, but then kind of turn up the dial higher because 
But, you know, when we were teenagers, you know, we compared ourselves to, you know, the people at school or the kids at the bus stop. But our teenagers of today are comparing themselves to the world, thanks to the internet. So the constant messages they're getting around body, around who you should be, around achievements, around all these things, they're they're thick and fast. They're really, really loud. And I think it's really important to remember that that creates a massive stress. There's this massive influence or loud noise constantly in the life of teenagers going, you should be like this, or um, that's not okay, that's not enough, let alone how teens often communicate online as well, which can also be a whole other issue. So I think the first thing is to just go, there's a lot of noise for teens and it is a different reality than what we grew up in. Yet some of the things are still the same, like they're all going through puberty like we did. Uh, And, I mean, again, even you can sometimes laugh when you look at social media, you know, there's photos of us when we were like 13, 14, 15, and, you know, the awkwardness of what we look like as teens teens and now teens at 14, 15 look like models. They look so glamorous and there's a whole lot of other stuff going on for them, which again is a whole huge pressure that can, you know, can happen as well. So I think puberty by far, you know, one of the things I'm mostly so passionate about, and I taught sex ed to teens for about five years in schools all around Victoria, is that they really need accurate information. And one of the biggest issues with that is that often parents um, feel, can feel embarrassed, feel ashamed. They've got their own stories and hang-ups around what it was like for them going through puberty or even just the feelings around my kids becoming a sexualized being you know that can feel very confronting and so therefore it's not talked about a lot and you know we know statistically that teens actually want to hear the information from their parents more so than anyone else like a lot of the research has actually said that that's what often has the biggest influence when parents are having the conversations with their with their kids around these topics so I always come back to firstly that we need to make sure we've got accurate information for our beautiful tweens and teens around what puberty is about because children will naturally be curious. And we have this huge sex educator that is online called pornography that is very easy to access. And when you type in something, you're not necessarily going to get the right accurate information around what you're looking for. And that is without doubt our biggest sex educator in the world is pornography. So when we come back to puberty, like I really think it is about what we need straight off is accurate information and making it safe enough for our children to come and ask us questions. I often talk about being an askable parent, which means that you're a parent that is open and and the children know that at any point they can come and say, what is this about? And why have I got hair here? And, And, you know, why do I have to wash more? Do I smell? Or whatever it is that's going on that they know that you are open to answering those questions there's no shame about it and it's something to celebrate it's a beautiful rite of passage puberty and I don't think it's celebrated or acknowledged in the way that can set up a really healthy relationship for these tweens and teens to have with their body by celebrating what puberty is a lot of the time and and this is probably our generation as well it was covered in shame and it was covered in secrecy and it it wasn't something that was considered celebration it was like okay now this is going to happen and that's terrible. That's it for the, you know, the next 40 years of your life or whatever it is. So I think, you know, we need to bring more awareness and celebration and openness around these transitions that they go through. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I love that perspective, thinking about how it was for us as teens and then imagining that our teens have all of those stresses that we had. And then they also have all these additional stresses on top of that, too, uh, around the messages that they're getting constantly bombarded with that they're not good enough or that they need to look different or be different or act different. 
the fact that they are you know, always comparing themselves to others and, and the fact that they are, have access to so much information, much of which is not the kind of information that we really want our children to be accessing at any age. And I, and I loved what you were saying there about having access to good information and then wanting to receive that information from their parents. And of course, that really depends on us having a great relationship with them, doesn't it? Where, like you say, we are it's a safe place where we've got this beautiful connected relationship that they can come and ask us anything. They can share anything that they're, that they're struggling with. They can share with us when they've made mistakes. They, they know that we are always a safe place, that we will always be their ally. And, and that requires a lot of work from us to, to create that kind of relationship in the first place, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. I think that's where we're parenting is so beautiful is that it prepares us for phases like this, going through puberty or navigating sex or those teenage years, because it's built the foundation of connected relationships and that and that the child knows inherently, hey, you are a safe place to come and I can bring whatever is up for me to you and you are going to hold it with tenderness and awareness and no judgment. And I think that is vital in the teenage years because so much of what happens in those transitions of the teenage years is figuring out who they are. It's all about who am I outside of this family unit? You know, they're needing to individuate to figure out who they are. And part of that journey is trying on different hats and different looks and what this feels like, all those kind of things. So they can figure out who they are amongst this family unit. And so even when they're doing that, they need to know that there's still a parent there that's like, hey, I've got you. Even while you're stretching a bit or even while you're trying on this here, I'm still here. I am connected. You know, I love you even whilst you're trying on these different personas or ways of being or those kind of things. You know, there's deep acceptance from the parent. Yeah, yeah. And that's it, isn't it? That's what comes from this aware parenting approach that we do offer our children this sense as much as we can of, of real unconditional love. Mm-hmm. So regardless of how they were behaving, you know, we're looking, we're always looking if they're behaving in a way that is really challenging. We're always mm-hmm. looking underneath that to see what, what's going on and, and mm-hmm. to be, yeah, just offering them that kind of love and acceptance as much mm-hmm. as we can. Yeah. So you mentioned porn, for example, because I know that you've done quite a lot of sex ed in in schools. What do you think is is important for parents to understand? Because I think all of us are now in a situation where I think it's 10 now, isn't it? The average age Mm. that most children Mm -hmm. will see some kind of porn online. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, how can we support parents to support their children around these sorts of topics, which are also often loaded with sort of shame and, 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 and all of the issues around sort of that control pattern about pornography, addiction, mm. and that kind of mm. thing. Mm. What are some of the things you think are important? Mm, yeah, it's really big. I think, well, I think the first one is, you know, it's very natural for a lot of parents to go into fear and go, this isn't going to be okay and my child's going to be exposed to pornography and then they're going to become addicted or my my daughter's going to think she has to act like this in order to be with someone. And I think, you know, there's a natural default to want to set up, you know, blocks on technology and all that kind of stuff, which can all be good, you know, and, and part of what you do in your family. But I am more about you need to educate your children on what it is and what it isn't and and have, again, make it safe enough for them to have conversations about it. I think one of the things that trips parents up a lot is that there is a lot of curiosity for teens to want to look at it. And then it can be very confusing because they can get turned on or they can have, you know, excited feelings when they're watching something like this, which is what pornography is designed to do. It's designed to make you aroused and then hook you in, all that kind of stuff. And I think, 
children can feel a lot of shame that they have that response and that reaction. And I think it's really important that, again, this is where education is so vital to talk to our teens, go, it's normal to have feelings like that, but this is what I want to help you understand about pornography. It is a billion-dollar industry. It's designed to rope you in to create these addictions. It's really important to explain particularly to, to boys or young men, you know, that there is something called PEED, which is porn-induced erectile dysfunction that can happen when you watch a lot of pornography, in particular if you ejaculate while you're watching pornography, then it sets up this feedback response in your brain. You release dopamine. And what happens is you then your brain becomes conditioned to only be turned on when you're watching graphic images. And then the images have to get more and more and more graphic. And so, you know, a lot of the research is showing that, you know, some young men are watching hundreds of hours of pornography before they've even actually held someone's hand, before they've even actually kissed someone. And so their whole brain is wired for violent, often graphic sexual acts as a turn on, as opposed to just touching someone or or stroking their back, all those kind of things. So we can see that there's a huge issue that sits with it. And I think that that's where, again, information is really powerful when we can Firstly, educate ourselves on, you know, what pornography is and why it has such a massive impact. There's a brilliant uh, website that I always resource called culturereframed.org. You know, they've got a free online course that you can do that actually talks to you about pornography. Then you can actually do it with your child so you can look at it together. And it's really only appropriate for about children 12 and up, but it gives you the opportunity to know how to talk about it, to discuss it, to make it something to, you know, to be an open conversation so that if children do come across it or, you know, they're feeling like they've got some issues with it, they can come and talk to you about it. And, you know, you mentioned that control pattern, which it is. Pornography is a huge control pattern for a lot of teens so that when things are feeling hard, I'll go and watch this and it gives me a bit of a hit or it numbs me out. And, you know, we often talk about what's the antidote to that is always connection. And so we want to make it safe enough for our kids to be able to say to us, you know, that's this is what I'm doing and it doesn't feel good and what can I do instead or or be able to talk more about, you know, the benefit of why it's doing, you know, what they're doing with that to numb what's sitting there. So how can we support them within it? So pornography is, you know, again, it's very different to when we were growing up. We might have had magazines or the odd video, but the amount of content and the amount of stimulation that happens now because of pornography and it's at their fingertips is is it's one of the biggest things that we need to educate our children around so that they are aware of what's normal and what's not because a lot of teens think that what they see on pornography is what sex is about and it actually isn't so when we can give them the right information and I've also found too that when using something like aware parenting when teens are connected to that beautiful family unit and feel accepted and there is a greater connection to themselves, it actually doesn't feel good wanting to watch stuff like that. It doesn't feel right because they actually know what good connection and intimacy in a relationship feels like, you know, and that feels like a fast food, you know, version of it. And it doesn't often feel good. So again, it's such a um I think this is where aware parenting is so powerful. The more that we focus on connection and our children have that real lived experience of what it feels like to be seen and heard and connected to, they're less likely to go looking for something like that to numb out to or to fill them up. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a difference, isn't there, between being intrigued and wanting to have a look and and sort of see what it's all about to using something in a way that is really a problematically kind of addictive sort of way. Yeah, which is the same as drugs and alcohol as well, mm-hmm. you know, and yep. you look at it in those teen years, is it's really normal for children to, to, I keep saying children, I should be saying teens because it's making it sound like we're saying seven-year-olds are going to go and 
smoke a joint or something. We don't want that. Like we're, no, we're really no, going we to come back that. to the teens. <laughs> I'll, I'll use the right words now. Um, it's really normal for teens to be curious about things they've heard about alcohol or drugs or that kind of stuff. And so it's not unusual for them to explore a little bit or to find what these edges look like. I always sit in the place where curiosity is really normal and we want you to go and explore and see what's out there. For me, and particularly with my own children, it's always been around my concern is if you're wanting to do it every weekend. My concern is if you're wanting to do it because you can't cope with the stresses of the day. My concern is you need to do this to sleep. You know, that's when I say, well, what is happening in your body? What is going on here? But to be curious about these things is not wrong. You know, it's part of figuring out who we are and there's those normal edges that they need to investigate and find out. And it's interesting, and I'm sure you you might see this as well, Joss, you know, just navigating the teenage years with my kids and with a lot of their friends and all that kind of stuff, you know, it was very easy or pretty clear to see the kids that had a lot of feelings that weren't being expressed were pretty hell-bent on, you know, getting messed up on the weekend or really numbing out a lot. And, and, and it was interesting for my kids at least to watch that enough and say, oh, I can see why they're doing it. They're doing it because they don't feel sick or they don't feel heard and and we would have very open candid conversations about that I made it you know really wanted to make it safe enough for our kids to talk to us about anything about sex or drugs or alcohol or whatever their sexuality everything that there was nothing off the table so that whatever was going on for them they could know that we would listen and you know there was place to explore whatever was was feeling big for them Mm, yes and it's such a distinction between that sense of normalizing risk-taking particularly in in teenagers which is such a normal part of teenage years so doing something for fun occasionally as part of that sort of exploring your boundaries versus doing something repetitively in order to numb out and Mm -hmm. um yeah and and I do really hear as well how important it is for families to be getting support for parents because it is so easy to go into that fear and I know that even I had that too at times when my children were doing things which I felt like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this because you've been aware parented. But then, you know, I, I had to go, I had to go and get some support for myself and then come back to like, oh no, it's okay. They're just exploring life and taking risks and having fun. And that's completely normal. And like you say, it comes back again to that keeping prioritizing your relationship. So it's always safe. So you're always connected. And so any mistakes, anything that they want to do is, is fine. You will always love them anyway. And you're mm-hmm. a safe place to come and talk about it. Yeah, I yes. so relate. There were many times where I'm like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. I've done all the listening to your feelings yeah. and we have played so much. And I'm like, no. And and I think the same. I remember freaking out and a friend going, it's okay, they're allowed to. And I'd be like, okay, yep, good. And there yeah. were edges which, you know, and each of three of my kids, they're all beautifully different. And my my son, who's my oldest, he is a natural risk taker. Is there an edge? Let me jump off it. Like that's what he does. His great love is bouldering and rock climbing. He loves hanging off the side of cliffs. Like that's his happy place place right so through those teenage years he was like oh there's something high to jump off or there's something dangerous to take let's try it and gosh it was so challenging to trust his inner compass and to give him the freedom to explore what he needed to and also stay connected enough to him and also give him all that information and he often would find his own edges and then bring himself back in and many a time I think through raising him when those times where I was feeling really stretched around it, I would just go, okay, universe, like just 
give me a sign that he's all good. Like, give me a sign that he's okay. And he'd come home and he'd just say something or he'd do something and I'd be like, oh, he's all fine. He's just, he's just discovering himself. And it was at those times where it was so much about me being stretched and having to really trust, but also needing, as you say, to do my own work of what was my fear and what was mine and what was I projecting onto him? Because it wasn't helpful at all. Mm, No, no. And I think that's what's really hard about the teenage years for us as parents, isn't it? Because, I mean, how many of us as teens had our feelings heard? How many of us as teens um, got to express what our needs were and to have have that even taken into consideration by anybody else? How many of us got to feel a connected, loving relationship with our parents where it was a safe place for us to be, where we got to share however we were feeling about things? I mean, probably virtually none of us. So most of us us are still carrying a lot of that, even if we've done years of therapy. Yes, yes, completely. I think, you know, I think what's shaped a lot of my work is, is the growing up of my teenagers into adults and the different phase they're in. I was like, oh, I don't feel equipped for this. And so then I'd throw myself into research and and practice it all on them to see. And and that what you're saying there about it was always the key thing that kept coming back for me is, well, what did I need that I didn't get? And I never had conversations around sex or I never had conversations around risk-taking or I never had conversations around certain elements of going through puberty. And so I wanted to make sure that, what I felt that I didn't get was available for my kids if they wanted it. Mm. So I was, I was going to make sex and sexuality uh, a topic that was normal to talk about at the dinner table. And so we would talk about pleasure and we would talk about consent and we would talk about, you know, how we explore our own bodies and we just normalize it so that they know, Hey, this is okay for me to explore. So I think that has been such a beautiful benchmark for me and I would invite every parent to do that of what was it like for me and what didn't I get and what did I need? And then that's what we can bring to our teenagers yeah. so that it's available around that so that we can talk and communicate around um, these topics. I think it's such a beautiful thing, way to look at it whenever yeah. you're stuck and like, I don't know what to do. Go, well, what did I need? If that was me, let's do that. Like, you yeah. know, that's a place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and often it's reaching out for support with your listening partner or whatever whatever that looks like for you to be able to get really clear and you start off those conversations going oh my god I'm so scared about my child and then you end those conversations just going Oh, no, it's, it's all okay. okay. This is this is yes. all I need. It's all all right. Yes. Oh yes. gosh, I just I have had so many of those conversations <laughs> as well. Like I really relate to what you're talking about because yeah, I used to joke in having teenagers, like, give me like a raging four-year-old any day. I'm like, that is easy, right? <laughs> just in, I mean, I know it's not easy for some parents, but I'm like, they're in front of you. You know where they are. Like, you know what's going on in their world. Teenagers is a different skill set. And there were many times where I felt scared because I was like, are they going to be okay? Do they know how to advocate for themselves? Like all the things that I wanted them to be in the world. And then when they would find those edges and stretch, gosh, it really really invited me to lean into my own stuff and get support to work through it because I could see when I wasn't doing that, I wanted to control what they were doing and that was not helpful. And they were pretty good at letting me know, um, excuse me, you need to back off. (laughs) They were very, very polite in saying, um, this is all your stuff, mum, not mine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the other things that are so important about the teenage years as well around um, offering them privacy and trusting them and trusting ourselves and and that requires so much work of us doesn't it to 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 be able to have a safe place to be able to go and share all of our fears because 
we don't want to be going snooping on our kids. We can't have a connected, loving, safe relationship with them if we are also like looking at their phone and reading their diary 100%. or you know, any yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. is there anything you want to say about that? Uh, I just really agree with you because I think there's a different narrative out there that says, you know, you should be able to look at their phone. And, I, I, and it never felt right for me because I was like, I wouldn't want that. I I want to prioritize that it's safe enough for them to tell me when something's going on. So I'm always going to keep checking in and going, how's it feeling online? You know, you're navigating any tricky conversations, what's going on? Let me know if there's anything too big. Again, more information and education to help them understand how to navigate it. And there were times definitely where my daughters would come to me and go, oh, this whole conversation's blown up. It's really messy. I don't know what to say. And I'd go, all right, let's work through what we can talk about. Or, um, you know, they'd be like, someone's asking me for some nude pictures. And I'm like, all right, should we send them back a picture of a cat? Like, what do you want to send? Like, we would chat about <laughs> what should we do here? Because do you want to send them a nude picture? And they're like, no. And I'm like, all right, well, how can we handle this in a way that's like, hey, back off, that's not cool. Uh, you know, there was so many layers to it, but I, I think I wanted to just keep making sure that they knew it was safe to come and ask for help. So I wasn't making it wrong that these conversations conversations are not wrong or that that we're curious about stuff but but you know and I see it as part of them learning but how do we equip them with the tools to know how to navigate it and so that's why I was always big on checking in on how's it feeling what's going on what are you watching you know what are we seeing what are you exploring so that there was interest and you know they knew that I was um I was there but also that whenever there was trouble they did definitely reach out and then they learned how to navigate that themselves so things were blowing up they're like I'm just going to jump offline I'm going to delete that for a bit I'm just not going to engage because they realized that just is there's a whole lot of drama there that needs to blow over I don't need to be part of that I'd be like, brilliant, well done, look at what you've just learned and navigated. So, and it does, I really do hear it, it requires a lot of trust, particularly with online stuff. And, you know, I know for some parents that would feel too scary to not have a bit of an insight into what's going on. Uh, and I think it's really because of aware parenting that's allowed me to be in that relationship with my children to trust them in those situations. But I've also worked with many parents, as I'm sure you have, Joss, that that hasn't necessarily been the foundation there. And so it is a really tricky place to navigate, sitting in the trust with them, you know, being able to find ways to navigate it together. It's really, it's it's so not black and white. It's really mm. delicate. It's really tricky. But the privacy thing for me has always been really big. I would want them to respect my privacy. I want I want to respect theirs. You know, even things like, you know, very normal for tweens and teens to want to close their door. And so always when you go and you knock and you pause, you wait <laughs> before mm. you just barge on in mm. and, and to be invited into their space. And, you know, I always used to say that to them, I'm never going to go through your things, you know, but if anything's up, come tell me or, you know, that kind of stuff so that there was a lot of transparency there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I think it's also when you when you go in and you start having conversations with them as they get older and more wanting to be able to resolve things for themselves and then you're like, oh, I could really give you some really beautiful oh. wisdom right now, but you don't actually want it. <laughs> so navigating all that yeah. is quite hard. Isn't that the art of listening and not <laughs> yeah. offering advice? Like absolutely. I absolutely swear, like, you know, the 
the three things that teen, when I used to work in schools and I'd ask every group of teenagers, you know, what is the thing that you wished your parents knew? And 85% of them would say, I wish they would just listen, but they wanted the listening was, I want them to listen without judging. I want them to listen without fixing. And I want them to listen without getting into the drama with me. So what they wanted was someone to be there to say, Hey, I'm here and I can hold this and it's not going to freak me out. And yet what we do, because we want to protect our beautiful kids and because we love them and we don't want to see them hurt, we don't want to see them go through the same stuff we did, we jump in with what they should do. And, of course, what it does is it makes them shut down. There's been so many times where I'd be listening and I'll go, okay, and then I'll go, uh, uh, yep, yeah, going. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like, stop, 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 stop. And then and then I'd get at the end and go, Do you want any advice, sweetie? Or did you want me to listen? And they'd be like, No, nah, just listening. And I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but now I found that through doing that, what they'll do is they'll go, Can I talk to you and can you give me some advice? They'll ask, which is beautiful. Yeah. And so that is gorgeous because, again, that that beautiful foundation is there that's saying, hey, I, I can listen and you know I can listen and and now they can ask exactly for what they want. Yeah, and that's so empowering for them as well because they know that we trust that they can actually resolve things themselves mm-hmm. too so that they, they feel really empowered through that process mm-hmm. to be like, oh, actually, I can resolve this for myself. And if it feels hard, it's always a safe place, like we were saying before, to come and ask. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Mm. what about things other pressures and things that they're facing we talked a little bit about social media but what is there anything else around social media and screens that because it's pretty full-on for very full-on for our teenagers to navigate it all yeah I think there's the pressure to look and be a certain way always constantly in your face there's that pressure that that whole FOMO fear of missing out so the addiction to being on your screen in case you miss out on something or a conversation or something that happened or there's that that really links them, you know, hooks them in. I mean, this we we know the addictive nature of screens. We know how um, challenging they can be. It also can be brilliant because it can, you know, create wonderful ways of belonging and connection. And we experience that as adults. And I often say to parents, you know, when we were at high school, we'd catch the bus home or the train home from school and, you know, you'd have to leave your friend for 45 minutes and then by the time you walked in the door, you'd get on your dial-up phone and ring your friend because something may have gone down in that 45 minutes and then you'd spend the next two hours on the phone with them chatting, right? So that's what was our normal. And for our kids, their normal is just the constant on the phone, what's going on, what am I seeing, what's happening. So it is their way of connecting or trying to find that connection as well, um, But it's and it's very, very hard to switch off and and to come back to just being. And, and again, I think this is where I find where parenting is really beautiful, that the more we help children feel what that connectedness feels like to themselves, they begin to be able to develop the ability to go, oh, I'm spending too much time on my phone, or yeah, I've had enough gaming, I need to go move my body, or they're better at being able to notice when when it's a bit off. Or if we come in and say, hey, do you want to hang out instead? They're often willing to because you know they, they know that that connection feels good. So I, I think it is... You know, I I wonder in years to come when we do more and more studies, when we see the impact of screens on mental health. I mean, we already know that it's pretty full on, but particularly in our teens, I think we'll see some incredible things that what technology has done. But I also think, you know, there's a lot there that we have to be mindful of. And I think it's important to remember us as adults, we struggle with it a lot as well. So what are we modeling to our children about it? Like that's a really huge part of what's going on. What are we modeling? 
I mean, and and talking of stresses too, you know, I, you know, I see the stress of what our education system puts on teenagers. You know, that is a huge, huge, huge thing that I feel is deeply unnecessary for our beautiful teens, this incredible pressure to get these good marks and this, you know, particularly here in Victoria, it's all about doing these exams at the end and getting a mark so you can get into university. A lot of unnecessary pressure and stress that, you know, once they've finished that year 12, then a few months later, it actually doesn't even matter anymore, right? So it's it's a lot of pressure around this. This is what achievement looks like. And I think we can do a whole lot better with helping our teens figure out who they are, what lights them up, what they love, what they would love to explore. You know, there's still this pressure of what are you going to do? What are you going to do for your life? You should have it all figured out at 17 and 18. And it's crazy. Mm. What if we change the narrative to what do you want to do for the next year? And then what do you want to do for the year after that? And mm. then if that was fun or you learned about this, what else could it look like instead of this incredible pressure to, to get good marks or to be a certain way in order to achieve? It's, it's really, I think it's so off the mark of what we need as humans. Yeah, I mean, it just means those last two years of their schooling years are so stressful. And and I know that there's lots of kids who have really, really traumatic kind of full-on anxiety as a result of these Mm -hmm. exams. And I mean, my kids were homeschooled, so they didn't go through any of this. And I love telling the story about my son who never did any formal structured learning and is now at university. So, and he's at university with contemporaries who all had to go through doing, it's called ATAR over here. I don't know if it's called the mm. same with you, but mm. you know, these hideously stressful exams and he just didn't have to do any of that. So mm. it's, it is so unnecessary. It's not just that it's bad for our children. It's completely unnecessary. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And you think about these formative years in this teenage space, which is where we're figuring out who we are, who we want to be. We're um, we're navigating relationships and intimacy in a whole new way. We are exploring our sexuality. We are trying to find passions. And you even think about what the brain's doing at this phase. The brain is doing this amazing lot of pruning at this time in the teenage brain. And it's also doing this incredible exploration of thinking outside the box. It's really quite innovative and creative. And yet we're kind of trying to box them in to go, you just need to regurgitate this information to prove you know enough. Like it's it's crazy. It's all wrong. We should be setting up, I think, systems where kids are able to just explore and play and try things and find passions and, and without the pressure to, to be a certain way because I think then we would see so much more innovation. We would see a whole lot healthier teens. I think there's so much that we could do to improve what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. God, certainly couldn't be doing it much worse anyway, given the way that (laughs) teens are feeling as a result of these, uh, these systems. So what about things like, you know, listening to feelings with teens? We spoke a bit about that already, about learning to listen without advising and without judging and that sort of thing. But is there anything else you want to say about that? Because, of course, it looks very different. It's not like you go and hold your hold your teen in there. I mean, sometimes you do. You hold them in your loving arms while they sob, but it's not the same as – and they don't have tantrums in the same way yeah. as, as toddlers do. But it's such an important part of the aware parenting process with teenagers Mm. how how does that how's that looked in your family I think it's been well to me it's still about that really close attunement so that Mm. when you walk in the room you can tell all something's off or you can just tell it's almost like I can tell by the tone of their text message or by Mm. by when they call their voice you're like yep something's off something's happened 
And I find that it's about (laughs) this beautiful, gentle dance of, you know, bringing safety to them so that it's safe to open up. So I was pretty good at doing it with a snack plate. Like I used to find when my teens came home from school, I'd be like, can I make you some food? And they'd be like, yes, you know, and just even that act of, I know they can make their own food, but just let me love on you a little bit. Do you want to make your food? Mm. Do you want a cup of tea? You know, I would just, I would literally just bring them some food or something that was just a little offering of like, hey, I see you, you know, do you want a hot pack? What do you want? Like, you know, just something. And then, and it wasn't straight launching into what's wrong. I can tell something's going on. It's just like, hey, you know, do you, do you want some space for a bit or, you know, and it was just reading the situation because sometimes they'd just come in and go, ah, this is, you know, this doesn't feel good. And they would just let, you know, bring it. And other times it was brewing. And so, you know, then then I would just kind of lean in and go, yeah, what's going on for you and where is it at? And coming back to really it was just a lot of listening. That was it. And that often would turn up again at nighttime too, which makes a lot of sense, you know, as the prefrontal cortex switches off at night and the amygdala, which is all that beautiful emotional center, activates brilliantly around 10.30 at night. This is the time where they go, hey, here's what I'm really feeling. So the (laughs) amount of times I'd be like, good night, darling. And they're like, mom. And then you'd go in and then you're sitting there for the next hour, which is beautiful listening to what's on their mind and on their hearts and just making yourself available to do that. I I found, you know, um, in the early years of raising kids, you know, you need to obviously be around a lot. And then I found in primary school from about the age of seven to 10 or 11, they didn't need me as much. But when they started to go through puberty, I really began to see how much they still wanted me around a lot, like especially after school. So I really needed to be available for them again because I could often find that there was stuff they were wanting to unpack. So I think it also depends on each child. You know, my son, uh, he's a very physical being. And so if something was bothering him, usually I'd be like, do you want to go kick the ball? And, you know, he loved play soccer. So we'd actually just go kick the ball together. And it was in that that he would talk or we would just, we would do something physical together. Then he would share what was going on for him. And, you know, one of my daughters would just come out and say it. The other one needed a little bit of coaxing or just a little bit more safety in order to share what was going on. But I think it kept coming back to that achievement when you know something's off and being aware enough of sometimes when you can lean in and I'm here and holding and and other times where you're like, I can see there's something happening for you and I'm here when you're ready. Mm. And knowing and, again, trusting that they would bring it to you when when they really needed to or when the time was right. So even just the other day, my youngest, who's 14, uh, she slept in when then I drove her to school late and we got in the car and I'm looking and I'm going, are you okay? She's like... I feel all this tension in my throat. I need to speak something, but I don't know what it is. And I was like, okay, do you want me to ask you some questions? And she's like, no, I don't know. It's not ready to come out yet. And I'm like, okay. And I said, well, I'm here if you need. She's like, yeah. And she went to school and sure enough, it came out at school, which was great. (laughs) Then she came home from school. She's like, it came out. It was about this. And I was like, okay, beautiful. And then she spoke about it. She was so deeply aware there's something I'm holding. I know I'm holding something. It hasn't revealed itself yet. And then, you know, it was able to be expressed. And to Mm. me, I was like, it's not about doing so much. It's just about making yourself available and spacious so they know they can come to you when when something's there. Mm. Yeah, I love that. 
I think all of those love gestures are so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I've done so much of that with my children too. I just like put fresh sheets on their bed if they go away for a few Mm -hmm. days or, you know, Mm -hmm. taking them lovely food or, yeah, if my daughter's really Mm -hmm. upset and she wants to be in her room by herself and have a bit of a cry, I'll just Mm -hmm. put a little tray of food outside and knock on her door Mm -hmm. and just, and like you say, that being available. And, yes, often my daughter will come into my room and she'll wake Mm -hmm. me up and it's like Mm -hmm. 11.30 at night. It's not Mm -hmm. my ideal time, but, like, you just you just drop everything when they you and you're just there for them and I do really have that strong sense that they still and even like my son's 19 and he's he's an adult he's moved away he lives out but I know that he still really needs me and he Mm -hmm. at times and and I know that he will always reach out for Mm -hmm. support when he's having a hard time and he might send me a text message Mm -hmm. or he might call and FaceTime Mm -hmm. or whatever but they do still really need us and it's 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 just so lovely to make yourself available and be there for them and that's yeah. yeah, it's so beautiful to know that that you are that safe place, even when they're adults. Like my son, mm-hmm. who's twenty two, was in a climbing um, competition a month or two ago, and he rang me. And as soon as I saw his number, I thought, "Oh, this isn't good because the competition's not going to be over." And he goes, "Mum, uh, something's happened." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And he goes, I did, "I'm all right." He goes, "I think I've broken my arm or something." He goes. It's not good. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, what should I do? And I was looking at myself thinking, I mean, I was laughing thinking he's 22, he's an adult, and he's kind of ringing me going, do I go to the osteo or do I go to the hospital? I'm like, (laughs) honey, you need to go to the hospital. And he goes, oh, okay. And we just moved down here. And so he's like, do you know where it is? (laughs) And then I just said to him, do you want me to come? And he's like, yeah, that'd be cool. So I was like, I'll come and keep you company. And he didn't need me, but I actually was like, I'll come. And I just went and sat with him. And I'm like, what do you think you've done? He's like, yeah, I think I've broken it. And we just chatted about it. How do you feel about it? And then he went into the doctor and then he, look, he managed his his care all fine himself after that. But it was, it was a kind of reminder to me of even in this young adult, there's still things they're learning. There's still things they're they're figuring out, and it was really beautiful to still lean in and go, "What what do I do here? <laughs> like, well, how does this roll? Do I have to pay for that? What happens? Like, <laughs> it's kind of very cute. I'm like, oh, sweetheart. Okay. I mean, sometimes I still feel like that as an adult. I'm nearly fifty, and I'm like, what do I do here? What's the grown up thing yeah. to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, it's so so beautiful. And I love the other thing I found recently with my son, particularly in terms of listening to feelings, is we're getting much more into that. Like we had lots of really beautiful conversations recently about something that he was struggling with, and we it we had this. It was much more than just a conversation about this is what's going on for me now. We also had lots of conversations about feelings and about mm. different kinds of feelings. And my mm. kids have got a much bigger vocabulary for feelings than mm. I had. Mm. But, you know, we were talking about lots of the different things that he might be feeling at the moment. And we had a conversation about how, you know, feelings can be from the past or they can be from the present or it can be stuff about the future that we're worried about. And, you know, all of those sorts of more sort of cognitive, theoretical, mm. aware parenting type conversations but that's added a whole Mm. extra layer of of yumminess to that Mm. kind of listening and connection with him Mm. Mm. that's so beautiful isn't it just remarkable to sit back and witness that and hear their insights and and what they're open to it's so rich and beautiful isn't it I mean Mm. I often think about imagine at 19 having those conversations Mm. with your parents imagine that even being part of your awareness like how much Mm. easier is adulthood going to be when you have that information and knowledge Mm. yeah absolutely I know and it's so and then they're so oh it just feels so lovely and beautiful and then they say Mm. things that's so touching as well Mm. don't they and I was saying to my son I'll 
you know, I'm really sorry. You've got a bit of a busyness control pattern. You inherited that one from me. Sorry mm. about that. And he was mm. just like, oh, mom, you never need to apologize. Mm. Well, you know, I love you so much. And it's just that, oh, it's so nice mm. when you've got that, that it's that connection. It comes down to that, that relationship, that safe, connected totally. space. Yeah. yeah. And I really think that um, so much of that comes back to us doing our own work as well. You know, it's, it's doing our own healing work from our own teenage years. It's mm. leaning into the edges that pop up with our kids in the current day and, and really asking those questions, what is going on for me here? What mm. is this about? Because I think like all of parenting, our children mirror back to us those wounds that we're not necessarily navigating or don't want to look at. And it can be so easy to just project onto our child of why they're not doing what we want or what's wrong with them or they're bad or all those kind of things instead of being able to go, maybe this is an invitation here for me to really lean into what's being activated for me. And I think that is such a game changer, isn't it, in taking responsibility for our feelings, which then allows our child to be free to be who they need to be. And I think that mm. is one of the greatest gifts you can give them, that mm. they feel free. They're not carrying our stuff forward yeah. or as little yeah. as stuff as possible. I mean, everyone's going to have story, right? We all do. But they're not carrying as much. That's mm. that's the goal, right? And it's such a gift for us too, isn't it, Lael? Because when they are behaving in a way that is really challenging for us or that's bringing up stuff for us when we are able to sit, sit with that and go hang on a minute why what is this what is underneath all this for me what is going on why am I having such a big mm. reaction to this and starting exploring that I mean it's just so powerful for us to heal stuff because like I was saying you know even if we've had lots of therapy this is like on the spot in the moment yes. therapy that we could do for ourselves totally and, yeah and I used to, one of the things that was the greatest one things that I learned, you know, through these teenage years was pausing, was actually in the moment with my teen and being activated is actually say, I'm going to come back to you and actually taking time to step away and either going and talking to a listening partner or just sitting with myself or my husband and I would nut it through before we came back and spoke to them. And often I would ask myself, what would connection look like right now amongst this, in this situation? And and, you know, that's a lot harder to do when you have little people, right, because they need you and that's a lot trickier. But when your child is old enough to be able to say, hey, I am going to just take some time because I really want to work through whatever's here for me and then we can talk about it, It's there's such wisdom in that, so much mm. wisdom in that. Yeah, and that, that's such a game changer, isn't it, mm. understanding that. And like you say, now that they're an age where it's actually safe, Mm. for you to be able to walk away and mm. take some time to to mm. sort out what's going on for yourself and then coming back to connect with them again and I've had so many times where I've been I've started a sentence I've started speaking and I get like four words in and then I think this is not what you want to be saying and like change course mid-sentence mm. mm. because yeah and and coming back as you said as, again at the beginning to this sense of yeah what would we have needed what did we need mm. when we were that age and it almost certainly wasn't the reactive stuff that's going to be coming mm. out of my mouth if I respond now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I I agree. I, you know, I think coming to aware parenting when I did was so powerful in giving me plenty of years of practice when they were younger for the teenage years. Like I really do see that. I see the power of that listening for many years allowed to be a lot more centered with my teens, particularly with the big stuff. 
and you know such a yeah and and I think that space to reflect and to get some support and and keep working through where that sits is just so important so so important to be able to turn up in the way that you want to turn up which is to be that calm anchored parent that says hey I can hold whatever you've got here there's nothing that's too big for me I think that is the ultimate and I you know I must admit through you know living through the last few years of COVID and all the challenges that went with it I, you know, I thought I was, I was brilliant. I am brilliant at, at holding space with my kids. I can absolutely do it, but I thought I'd had it down pat. And then when COVID happened and a whole lot of stuff came up for my kids, I was like, oh my God, this is the next level of, mm. of trust and sitting in space and holding it. It was really, really big. And I learned a lot from that as well. I really remember mm. thinking, wow, this is actually really what trust and spaciousness looks like of sitting in these deeper, darker places with them and just saying, I'm here and I love you and I trust where your journey is. It was mm. huge. It was so huge. So huge. Yeah. Yeah. I really relate to that. I was also like, yeah, I've got this aware parenting thing. And yeah, the way it's been in the last few years is just such a next level when it comes to being able to offer them that. Yeah, mm. it's a totally, totally huge. And of course, then there are times when we can't and there are times mm. when we do react harshly to our children or mm. the you know, we don't respond in the way that we really want to. And of course, that's the other beautiful thing about aware parenting is that we have this amazing thing where we get to rewind, where we get to repair, where we get to reconnect with our children. And I, I mean, I always say to clients, I, I think it's, it's, it's not that it's ideal, of course, to lose your temper with your children, but actually this process allows you to have a deepening in your connection and a deepening in your understanding of each other that you wouldn't have if you weren't losing your temper with them sometimes. And the ability to go in and to show your child you apologize that you didn't mean to speak like that, that you understood that that would feel bad and that you were here to listen to any feelings that they might have about it, that you always think that they are deserving of love and that you mm. always want to keep trying. I mean, that's that's amazing in terms of relationship building, isn't it? So beautiful, so profound, absolutely. Uh, you know, and one of the other things that I found which surprised me was when my kids wanted to actually go and talk to someone else, like a therapist or something. And I remember thinking, why? You don't need to. Like, you've got me. <laughs> like, you know, I've done all the listening. And then it kind of dawned on me in the teenage years. I'm like, well, they might need to talk about me. <laughs> and I'm like, how can they? But they might need to talk about me. And they need to talk about the family as a unit. And they need to talk to somebody else separately. And and I found that to be incredibly powerful for my kids when they've gone, I actually need to go and talk to someone and and they'll do some sessions. or And I've really supported them in that. Like I often say, I don't care who you talk to, you just need to talk to another adult that feels embodied or that, you know, really you feel safe with. And I love that they've all done that. And whether that's been a family friend or a family member or they've gone to a therapist, I love that it's within their beings that know, oh, it feels so much better to speak or to get it out and that they've that network has spread, that it's not just my husband and I, but there's others within it that they can turn to. And that's been beautiful to witness as well, that they they value what it is to be heard or to do their own work on themselves. And that's been amazing. And look, you know, to be really honest, there's been times where there's been some big dramas and stuff going on and they're like, I'm going to go talk to such and such. And I'm like, awesome. Because I'm like, I don't really want to hear it today. Yep. I know that yep. sounds terrible, but there's been times where I'm like, oh God, this has been a big story. Yep. yep. Go and talk to them. That's awesome. You know, that might give you just something else because there's still stuff for me in with this. So, you know, I really have seen the value of that as well for them personally. Mm. 
to just know how powerful it can be to share, whether that is a listening partner or a therapist or whatever, that there's, there's that they know it's better out than in holding yeah. it in. And just that they have that insight and awareness to know that they've got stuff that that will that needs sharing, mm, that needs mm. to be shared somewhere. And I totally resonate with what you were saying, Leila, as well, because I had this tendency to go in, oh, well, I must have failed as a parent if I haven't done all the listening. And, of course, that's not true. Mm. It's not true at all. And, and for our kids, yeah, to have that, that self-awareness is just incredible. And I know mm. that, yeah, my children will always, when they have any kind of struggles, they will always reach out to support them, whether that's from me mm. or from somebody else. Mm. It really doesn't matter. It just means that they will always be getting the support that they need in life, which is that's the most important want. thing. <laughs> it is. And when you think about the teen years, that is what is pivotal. Because so much of what teens are navigating is their identity and where they like it's just I think we forget how full on it is. It's just there's so many elements that go to it. And and the goal is that they reach out and say, hey, I'm confused or I'm feeling really stressed or and that they share what is happening for them because then they have the opportunity to feel whatever they need to feel and then move into possibility to change whatever's going on. So for me, that is so the goal is that they know, hey, I need some support here. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what about attachment play and things? Because obviously, again, that looks different. Mm. We're not, you know, as our teens get older, it's not mm. it's not the same as when they're little people. No. But they do still benefit from lots of laughter and lots of connection, totally. lots of playfulness, mm. lots of lots mm. of fun and interaction. Mm. And and many yeah. of those forms of attachment play are still really mm. really helpful for our teens. Mm. How, how have you totally. found that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does look different for sure. Like, and, and this is where I found technology can actually be brilliant. Like sometimes it's sharing really funny memes. Like, you know, my daughter went through a real TikTok phase where she's wanting to make a TikTok every day and I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so, you know, we were dancing together and I'd mess up and they would think it's hilarious. And there was a lot of that that was going on, which was really brilliant. Um you know, even playing like we had a PlayStation for a bit and my daughter and my husband would play Super Mario together. The amount of cackling and laughing that would go on with them playing was just the best because they would kind of be competing against each other. My husband was a bit hopeless and just it was so funny, their beautiful connection around it. Um, music, music is always such a brilliant one. I think that, you know, sharing music with each other or just um uh, you know, particularly one of my kids just absolutely adores music. That's so her love language. And and that wasn't so much about play, but just meeting her on that level. Mm. Um, you know, we love to do things like escape rooms. We, you know, card games, stuff like that. Um, laser tags, pretty fun, running around in the dark shooting each other. <laughs> that was very fun and therapeutic. You know, things like that I think have been really um, amazing, you know, just mm. to laugh and play and, and really meet them where they are in their own world has been really, really brilliant. So, it, you know, they don't need it as much, obviously, than what, as what we do with little kids, but I find it's more the day-to-day -day interactions or the funny stuff that that is really gorgeous that brings those connections together for sure. Mm. Yeah, and I loved what you were saying there. I think one of the things that's really important about the play with the teens is showing an interest in the things that they're really interested in and, mm. and doing and doing it without sort of tending to go into that sort of judgment or commenting about it. And I loved all that power reversal stuff as well that you were bringing in around the TikTok dances. And there's so many th times when, mm. yeah, my kids, the kids are bigger and stronger and better at most mm. things than yes. me now. So yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And like all those funny games, like 
cheat or games we used to play with spoons that would just always end up hilarious, lots of laughter, like, you know, beautiful things like that have um, have been gorgeous. And it's really funny, like now, you know, my I've really only got one child at home, one lives in the city and one's kind of here half the time. And when we are back together as the five of us, I'll often go, do you want to play a game? Like, and it's beautiful playing a game almost as yeah. adults. It's very gorgeous and funny and and beautiful. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of gorgeous laughter that goes on. Yeah. And I find too that, you know, sometimes I'm the one that they're, um, you know, the butt of their jokes. So often <laughs> there'll be stuff, stupid stuff that's mum's done and the three of them laugh hysterically around stuff. Or one of the things that my kids find hilarious is because they have their own language teens do and I'll go all right write me the list of all the things that you say and I'll try and guess them and so then they go they'll say a phrase and then I have to give my interpretation of it and they think it is the funniest thing ever because like, <laughs> I don't understand that and then they think it's so funny and a lot of time I genuinely don't understand I'm like what you have to explain that to me put it in a sentence right and then I'll try and say it in a <laughs> sentence and then they think it's really funny I mean that's pretty gorgeous like we we often do that my daughter will come home and I'm going you got any new words for me and she'll be like <laughs> Okay, she'll say something and I'll be like, what does that mean? So, you know, I think, again, it's like meeting them where they're at in their language is pretty beautiful as well. Yeah. We played um, Articulate the other day when my son came home and it was they decided the kids wanted to be, so the two of them against me and my husband. And and so I I like deliberately, very subtly, let them win just. And Mm. my husband was just like, what? What are you doing? We don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> but they loved it so much. Yeah, there was so yeah. much laughter. And then they just loved the fact that they'd beaten us and that we were, yeah. they could then tease us. So there's a lot of teasing yeah. going on in my family too. And yes. I, I love that. I really yeah. love that, that they can be, they can tease me for being ridiculous. And they always yeah. say, cause I've got, I'm always like a bit of a health Nazi and they, they say things like, Oh mom, you know, you're really ruining life again. And because like, <laughs> they've, they've bought something and I've been like, Oh, you know that that's got lots of preservatives in it or whatever. <laughs> so that's the, uh, one of their funnies, but yeah, lots of those beautiful family jokes. And like you say, that language of the family is, mm. is so nice, isn't it? Mm, mm, it's really, beautiful and it's that genuine natural connection that's not forced that just that that feels pretty rich and beautiful isn't it and it's Mm. and it can just be for 10 minutes and that's enough you know it doesn't have to be hours of it it can just be these beautiful little pockets and and that feels beautiful yeah Yeah. I think I know we spoke about this just when before we started but my thing always was I just I, before my kids became teens, I just was really like, I just don't believe it has to be horrible and and divisive and yelling and slam doors. I just don't think it has to be like that. And I was really adamant of how do we how do we make these teen years brilliant and fun and amazing and loving? And they have been. And and mm-hmm. again, coming back to it's required a lot of reflection and work on my part to look at my stuff and my husband as well. And how do we keep coming back to seeing that beautiful child in front of us and let them be the full expression of themselves? And I think that it's just reframed what teenagers can be. And I know you stand for that as well, that it can be just some of the most beautiful, gorgeous parenting years. Mm. Yes. Yes. So amazing. And as you know, I've just got back from a week's holiday with my daughter and it was just, that was a week of special time. It was amazing. Mm. And I know, like you say, it can just be 10 minutes sometimes, but you know, sometimes it can also be a week. And Mm. I just feel so blessed that my daughter wants us to go on holiday with me for a week and and, and that we just got to have so much fun. And it was just beautiful connection. Mm. And 
what a powerful and amazing relationship. And like you say, with your son, now he's 22 and mm. it's just, it, it's just going to keep getting better, isn't it? Mm. It's just going to keep getting better. Yeah. Well, you see, and I think, I think too now, you might find this with your son, with my daughter who lives away, when she comes back, she's so happy to hang with us and mm. she just, she'll lay on the couch and like lay all over me. Like she wants to literally, you know, smooch me and we'll just spend this gorgeous quality time in each other's presence. And then, and then she's gone again and doing her life and being out in the world. And it's, it's so rich and beautiful. Like I just really see how, um, how magnificent it can be to have that you know, I remember feeling it was a burden to go home to my parents when I was younger. Mm. And I was like, oh, I've got to hang out with them. And and I really do sense that they genuinely want to hang out and be there. And it's mm. beautiful. Yeah. And I think aware parenting is is such a powerful process to allow our children to individuate and to, to become who they are meant to be on their mm. own unique journey, trusted and loved on that, and deeply connected and still wanting to be with us in in, mm. in the same time. And it's mm. just such a it's such a beautiful balance. Mm, yeah. And I think I also find too one of the greatest things I've learned was to let go, to let them be free to be who they need to be, to, you know, that they go, oh, I want to go see my friends overhanging with you. And I'm like, that's cool. Like to never give them a hard time for, you know, you know, you have to be here. I really wanted them mm. to be tuned into what feels good for them. And, you know, that's a big part of, of, I think, raising children right from the beginning is that we don't own them. We're learning to let go of them from the moment they come Mm. out is just Mm. is that trusting and letting go. I just want you to be free to be who you need to be in this world. That is my goal, you know. And so whatever I can do to do my own work so I don't place any of that baggage on your shoulders and whatever I can do to keep reminding you of your spirit and your truth and who you really are, then that's what I'm going to do because that to me is the greatest gift we can give them. Oh, yum. Absolutely. And when stuff does come up for us about that, because I have, there have been lots of times, plenty of times when things have come up around that. And I felt really sad and, and grieving in a way at losing them. That's, mm. that's what you take to your listening partner. Like you say, you don't burden your children with that crap. Nice. You take that to your listening partner and you get support, you feel mm. heard. And then, then they really are free and you mm. really are able to, to give them that genuine mm. sense of, yeah, unconditional mm. love and freedom for them to Mm. become whoever they're going to be so beautiful so beautiful so thank you so much Lael it's been such a beautiful conversation how can people find out more about you and and tell us about your book launch and and all that Uh, kind of thing yes so you can find me at laelstone.com.au I don't, there isn't actually another Lael Stone in the world, or there was, but she passed away. So I'm pretty easy to Google and find. <laughs> um, so all of my stuff and my offerings are on my website. Our new book, Raising Resilient, Compassionate Children, which is with beautiful Marion Rose, is coming out, I'm pretty sure, the 5th of December. I shouldn't say a date just in case, but it'll be sometime that week. So that's really exciting that's coming out. And that's just a beautiful, I think, guide for parents around how we navigate all sorts of stuff with our children. It looks at it through the aware parenting lens. It really gives lots of practical explanations and um, stories around how it can look. So, yeah, it feels um, we're very proud of our beautiful book that is going out there into the world. Mm, so excited to get my hands on a copy I did have the privilege of reading the draft Mm. and it's an amazing book I know it's Mm, just going to completely transform so many parents lives it's just a wonderful wonderful book so yeah congratulations Mm, thank you thank you thank you Mm. I'll put all those links in the show description so people can find you 
Another great website that's full of such great information, particularly around sex, is called sexedrescue.com. Oh, yes. Yeah. By Kath Atkinson. And she's got just the best resources for every age from little people all the way up to teens on all topics related to it. It's just it's the number one resource I send people to all the time if you're wanting more support around some of those big topics. It's such a great, such a great website. Great. Yep. Thank you. I'll put that in as well. And mm. if people want to buy your book, Lael, your yours and Marion's book, how do they yes, get hold of it? Yes, it will be on Amazon. So you can, um, if you just search our names or you search Raising Resilient and Compassionate Children, you will be able to find it there. Great. All right. Well, I'll put that all in. Thank you Thank so much you. for making time. It's such a pleasure to talk to you always. My pleasure. Thank you, Joss. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.